back on another one dr zero trust show with tina gravel tina if you wouldn't mind uh give sort of a quick intro on who you are what you do absolutely uh thank you i'm tina gravel i am a uh, cro and channel chief um that's my past if you will right now i'm i'm uh, a free agent i'm with a company called pineco hill which i uh, i'm using to do some consulting i i'm actually a uh, i would say a biggest one of your biggest fans dr zero trust uh -oh. and, and i've been i've been grateful for you because i've been talking about zero trust for nearly 10 years and there were very few people talking about it until you and john kinderflag and you know others really put it on the map so let me just say that oh, thank you I'm, I'm glad somebody likes to hear us talk because we do enough of it right <laughs> yeah agreed so with your you have a lot of experience in the the channel side of this and taking products into the market around that and selling to people that are looking to buy solutions and i wanted just to kind of give you a free free form uh sort of questions around when when people are trying to figure out whether or not they should focus on channel or direct is there anything in your experience that's an indicator of we should be more channel or more direct or whatever because lately i see lots of companies that are going almost entirely channel. And personally, I think that that's a smart play. What's your opinion? I do too. Uh, here's why. We're right now, we, we, we went through the great resignation or the, you know, and now we're in this pseudo recession, I guess, and things are slowing down. Either way, whether you've lost a salesperson or you can't hire one because you have a hiring freeze going on or whatever, the channel is always there to augment and leverage your own salespeople. And so it's one of the best ways to grow a company and to get that uh, force multiplier that everybody wants. And, uh, you know, Cisco was one of the first to just say, I'm going to go all channel. And it was absolutely a um, genius thing to do. It was probably something that um, nobody agreed with at the time and thought, oh, how can you do that? But uh, if you have your sales process decoded and you can get that to the channel and the channel can be successful, it can be the best way to go. At the time, uh, at my last position, I had approximately 4,000 agents, if you will, and resellers and so forth. I didn't contract with all of them, but I was associated with them through dis distribution. And um, there's no way I could have hired 4,000 salespeople, right? So, uh, right, because it is a that's that's the thing that I try and get across to a lot of the smaller startups that I work with is, like you said, you're never going to be able to scale your sales force for direct sales to the level that you're needing to operate at. And if you really want to reach critical mass, you need, uh, like you said, force multiplier. And that that's where you get. But do, do you think that there's also an issue around when you go in channel? Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about you have to sell things twice. Is that a fair statement? Well, I mean, let's let's sort of um, unpack that for a moment. You have to understand how you sell your own product 
before you can get someone else to sell it for you. You know, imagine mm -hmm. my channel is three, your, your buyer is three to four levels away from you, right? When you have direct sales, the buyer is right there. So there's a couple of ways in which to do this where you can be successful. And, and if you don't do it, you won't be. First thing is you, you have to know the process and it has to be successful with your own team. Once you've done that, and by the way, many companies uh, don't know how to do this, and they, thus they're unsuccessful with their own sales and channel. They really never get to, to the vantage point they should be at right or to the top. What, what I have seen is when a good channel is operating, the same sales motions are translated from direct to the channel. And, or they're, or they're split up. So I wouldn't say it would be twice. If you look at a sales, um, like a, t a life cycle, right? Your, what's your first thing you do? You prospect, right? And then you qualify, and then you, you know, perhaps you're doing some sort of uh, proof, proof that this is really the solution the customer wants, and then you, you close for the deal, and you contract, and you, and you supply it. Well, my, my experience has been if, if you can work together, it's the best way to go. So it's not necessarily selling twice. It's about splitting the work and making sure that you both know your role and work well together. Now, in the case where you can't afford to pay a direct salesperson and the channel, it's incredibly important that you have developed a frictionless, a uh, very uh, process-oriented sales sales motion, so that the channel can do it themselves. Because that's when you're going to get into selling it twice. That's when you're going to get into it. Because at that point, if you haven't done that, what you're essentially getting is you're, you you want someone to sell something, but you really haven't provided them with everything they need in which to do it. So they do it to the best of their ability. Maybe they get lucky, and and you know, then you come in and you say, oh boy, the, the channel really, really didn't sell this properly. I have to resell it. Or they really didn't close it for me. I have to go close it. You know, there's, there's mistakes in, in those processes that go along because the channel has not been enabled properly. And it's a very common thing that we see. But I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that selling it twice is really what's going on. I think that there's something broken in there that needs to be fixed and then it or you need to share the wealth and share the work and that way you'll you know you'll have everybody knows their job you know that's more common than having to go in and resell something it's more about uh what do you do what do i do and how do we not bump into each other necessarily mm. right did yes, I, I mean, did, that's, I make sense? did I make sense? I no, I mean, that makes a heck of a lot of sense because that I think is something that is missed with a lot of folks is they um, I deal with people and they say, well, we're moving to sell through channel. And it's it's exactly what you said, where they haven't spent the time um, like you like you pointed out, making sure that they have a really fluid process on their own and that things are well documented and that they have everything in a um, a strategic execution approach to what they're doing and then they think well we're going to take this screwed up thing that we're doing with our stuff and give it to somebody else who's not us and it's going to work because it's the channel 
exactly. Exactly. Or they'll say, um, this is a very common thing that happens. Um, they'll say, hurry up, recruit all these partners, get them enabled. And then a few years down the line, why do we have so many partners? It's expensive. It's, you know, um, there's, let's, let's back out. The telcos are, are absolutely uh, famous for this approach and it's caused a level of un, untrust with, with channel partners. Um, but, you know, it, it, this back and forth and back and forth. And, and my goal was always to be, I don't know, the kinder, the kinder channel leader in that I, I never really fired anybody, but, you know, I wouldn't pay attention to them either if they weren't doing what they needed to do. And by not firing and doing these harsh con contractual on and off motions, you begin to gain trust over the years. And then the partners, you know, will will gravitate to you or will will do what you need them to do regardless of where you're working. You become you become what you're supposed to be, which is which is a true leader that will get them what they need, the products, the services, the enablement to be successful. Because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's 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 us selling and being successful as a vendor, our product and enabling these folks that are sometimes are one person shops Sometimes they're a thousand people, but helping them to be successful in the, in, in the effort, it's gotta be the two of you. It's not just about, about you. It's about them too. Well, and that leads me to the next side of this is uh, how valuable, and I know I'm leading the witness here, but there's a point that I think that needs to come across is how valuable is it for the organization that's moving into the channel to have their go-to-market strategy and everything else to be aligned to enable that channel execution. Because a lot of times, like you were saying before, it's been, um, this kind of works for us and here's our marketing stuff. And oh, you go use this and we expect you to deliver on this kind of semi-crafted thing. It's, in, in your experience, it needs to be exceptionally crafted to enable the channel, correct? That's absolutely right. Um, you can't just, and you also have to have, you have to have people that can uh, sometimes heavy lift the process at the beginning, because sometimes you could have all the, all of the automation and the process in the world, but they need to see another salesperson do it. And so uh, that's why you need uh, channel directors, channel managers, channel associates in the field side by side with partners from time to time. Sometimes it's it's enabling DISTs and then they do it for you. But either way, uh, you could give them everything in the world and they could still have trouble. So it, it always helps to have someone shepherd, you know, the process along. Uh, one of the best ways you can do that is is public classes and you know take them through a sales, an actual sales opportunity, how it all worked role play, all of that, because you're absolutely right. The, this, it has to be very well crafted. The, the message has to be as clear as it could be, and it has to make sense to them so they can internalize it. And then, you know, you, the best thing is to train them and then train them again, and then help them with actual role play. Because imagine you know, you're a salesperson, right? You're going into one of your best accounts. You've got a new product. And the first question they ask you, you can't answer. 
right? That's okay. In many cases, you're not going to know all the answers, but you have to have enough to have that confidence to go into that partner. You can't, you can't have a, a channel partner that you say to them, oh, just, just tell them our value prop and bring me in. No, they're not going to do that. And the reason they're not is because they want to feel good and they want to feel whatever they're providing is going to add value and that they have confidence around it. How can they get confidence if you just give them a script and say, just bring me in, right? That's, that's absurd. So you led the witness to the right answer there. Yes. <laughs> well, how, 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 um, how valuable is it for organizations that are selling into the channel to have, uh, those legacy relationships, or do you feel like it's one of those ones where you're going to get the best value out of the channel approach? If you have, uh, if you're going all new and you're just kind of shotgunning things into the market with channel partners that have got lots of spread and capability, is it, is it typically you think better to have channel approaches and dedicated sort of long history relationships so that that's a quicker opportunity? Or if you're looking for, growth and, and uh, exponential sort of rocket ship type of thing in this channel go big, broad, fast? Well, if you have, if you have the money to invest in marketing, there's an awful lot of pay for play activities that go on, which are very helpful to get your name out there. Uh, I think what you're asking me is, should you go small with the relationships you have, or should you do a prey and spray kind of thing and canvas the market? I think that's what. You're yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm asking. And but the other thing I'm asking too is, um, is it is it better to have like you kind of were hinting at, like smaller, really vectored channel relationships over uh, that have long established sort of history into a specific specific vertical. I don't know why I'm mumbling my words there. Yep. mini stroke or something but that's that's the issue that i i see is there's this like you said spray and pray or you get people that go well we're trying to grow in this massive channel with this vertical where these guys have been selling into for the last 30 years and they wonder why this uh big engine takes so long to get rolling yeah well my relationships in the channel which go deep and and long because i've been doing this um you know, since 2011. Prior to that, I, I did direct. Um, I ran sales prior to that and then went into the channel as a favor because I, actually not a favor, I just wanted to get back with my friends, right? I wanted to work with my friends. Through, I got into the channel. This is kind of funny, but I got, you know, me, Annie Medina and the gang over at Terramark asked me when we were at Terramark to, to run the channel. And I said, isn't that where good salespeople go to die? That's <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like a good use of my skills. And he, you know, Manny Medina was in these guys you didn't ever say no to. So I did it and I found it to be wonderful and much harder than direct sales because of this influence factor. So now getting back to your question, the relationships that you have will be very useful when you want to get in the door somewhere or when you want to um, solve a problem. I don't know how many times I've had to call the CEO of a company and say, hey, did you know this was going on? I need your help here. And it's always wonderful to have that short, uh, that shorthand relationship so that you can get things done. 
What it's not going to get you is the rank and file selling your product the way you want them to. That does not, you know, just because you know someone at the top or you may know a few of the salespeople, that doesn't get you there. There's an awful lot of work that'll still have to go on. But it's nice to have the relationship because it'll help you get in the door and have them at least look at the product to see if it fits. Now, with regard to your verticals or your specialization providers, I actually looked to the folks that understood security the best as my qualified partners. You know, I came up with a list of who, who could be qualified and why are they qualified? And that's how, that's how I approached it. If they didn't know anything about security or if they hadn't sold it before, it would be a very, very big jump for me to, to get them to sell what I do. However, however, that is the market of the future. You can't ignore it. So you start training them, but you don't expect to get a whole lot of sales for a while. Maybe you'll get a lead here or there. The real, the real meat of the organization has to be the partners that actually know security already. And you probably know some of these folks. There's GuidePoint Security, there's Optiv, you know, there's uh, CDW has a great division, security division. There's lots of these resellers that have understood that security is extremely important to what they're doing and they need to have a practice and that's what they have formed. And so they're very useful and that is a good place to go. When you get there, however, you have to remember that if your product is not is not fabulous, it's not it, or the best or different than what they're already selling, you're going to have a bit of an uphill climb no matter who you know. Because they already have established relationships and they're already selling something and they may be getting hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the other vendor. And so you are still, you still have a real uphill climb, even with somebody that understands what you do. So it's not easy if you're a, if you're a new vendor or if you are a, even a mid-sized company that really hasn't, hasn't uh, had much of a channel program in the past, you're coming into a place that's highly competitive uh, for Mindshare. And it's, it is quite difficult. Spray and pray. Let me go to that one now. There are companies that are, that are coming into the channel that are newly funded, that begin to what I would call support the pay and play that goes on in distribution and in the reseller community. And they will spend lots of money to get on the map. And that does work because what that does is that gets their name out there to all of the rank and file, which your one relationship at the top can't do, right? Or your relationship with 20 people, it's still not going to translate to a relationship with, with a bunch of others that might be new. It can work, but uh, it's very expensive and cost prohibitive for many companies to do. I saw in the telco channel, when I was there, I saw um, UCAS, if you will, you know, um, Unified Communications as a service, come in. These companies, very competitive, three and four of them were spending millions to uh, activate the channel. And they had 
promotions like you wouldn't believe. And they really did steal the mind share from others like me selling security or selling co-location when I did, you know, through our channel. Uh, they really did steal the mind share, but that is hugely expensive. The other thing they had going for them is that it was a telco channel. It wasn't like security where you have to completely change your mindset and learn something new. It was simply, they were selling unified communications. Now they're going to sell unified communications as a service, right? There's, it's very similar. Yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, uh, do you think that this is really one of those places where it's literally, you got to spend money to make money? And I mean, cause I mean, there, I've had a lot of folks that have said kind of, well, what's the, what's the calculation on what we should expect for the output versus input and whatever. And for me, most of the time I'm like, well, it's kind of Kentucky windage, you know, stick your finger in the air and see which way it's blowing. And you'll kind of have a guesstimate about what you expect, but is there, do you think that there's like a, an actual, I don't know, almost formulaic calculation of if you spend X amount percentage wise, you should expect X amount percentage wise over time returns based on channel. And I know that's a pretty heavy question, but yeah, I'm, just, well, I'm just, I'm literally just trying to see if there's like some pontification based on your experience there. Yes. No, I think, I think you're onto something and it's too bad that it's gotten this way. What we have is we have a lot of providers that can't make a living on the margins that the vendors are giving them. And so they've created these enablement programs that they charge for. If you want to train the partners that are under us, it's going to cost you X. If you want a newsletter, it's going to cost you Y. And they they package all of this up. And some of the packages are three and $400,000 a year. And the telecommunications companies have been used to spending this, but the smaller security providers have never done this and, and in many cases don't have the money. I never had that kind of money to do that, even when I was more in the telco space uh, selling co-location. We didn't have the money to, to buy our way in. So in that case, you have to have a product that the market wants. So that goes back to having having a direct business that gets you far enough or having a brand that gets you far enough that the channel wants to sell your product. Because otherwise, you've got a good two to three years of, of missionary work in the channel and, and of, of this slow roll by your own people trying to get your name out there. Uh, without that, those marketing dollars to buy into this sort of new way they're doing things, it's very challenging. It's not impossible, but it takes more time and it's, it's very hard. The last thing I'll say is, I don't want you to get the feeling that it's if we build the best product, they will come. No, 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 no. Um, I, saw that, I saw that mistake with Sybase. I was there years ago and they were competing with Oracle. And Sybase felt if we have the best, you know, they didn't say this, but, you know, if you can imagine, you know, we have the best technology, we don't have to go after partners and alliances. That was a huge mistake. Oracle came back ahead because they were connected with SAP and it drove database sales. And they were connected with, you know, all of the other vendors at the time. And so Sybase would come in and they'd say, well, gee, I'd love to buy Sybase, but I'm already using Oracle with my SAP. I don't really want to get into another database and have to hire all of these other people that know Sybase. So, so it's a similar thing in that 
you can't just build the best product and expect people to show up. You still have to work on partnerships. You still have to work on strategic alliances to make sure that if it's going to be engineered in, it's going to be engineered in with your product and not someone else's, right? Because you, it will, at that point, it's regardless of what you do, the customer then begins to say, I'm going to go this road. Now, with security, it's a little different because we're all in this race to protect and we don't we don't have all of the tools yet. Uh, there are things coming up that are fascinating and wonderful and uh, they're around quantum and they're around blockchain and they're around AI and all of that, but it's new, right? And so you might, in that case, have the very best product that anybody could sell and but the problem is no one's ever heard of you. And so it's going to be difficult for the channel partner, you know, to introduce this new thing. First of all, they have to understand it intimately, right? I told you that to trust and to feel good about selling it, right? Secondly, it can't be so different that it's so hard to sell that by the time they sell it, they're like, oh my God, you know, the money I made is great, but it doesn't begin to cover the hours it took, right? So it's almost in that case, you have to have a good direct process built, a good direct sales process. Like I told you, decode it all, you know, first, get your brand out there first, then go to the channel and then bring it to the channel and hope to heck you don't have a ton of, of competition when you get there. It all has to be done very, very quickly. Because what happens is, and we saw this with zero trust, zero trust now is discussed by everybody. Everybody says they have a zero trust product. So now what you have is a very noisy market, a very confused marketplace. Uh, they don't know what they're buying, essentially, whether it's zero trust or not, unless they are extremely savvy. You've probably seen this. <laughs> I think I'm one of the people causing the problem. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh if you truly have something that follows the structure and the tenets of zero trust, well, amen. But you know what happens is, I think if you if you have a lot of noise, it 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 causes a bit of inertia with the customer because they're confused and they don't know what to do. This is why I like folks that come in and they do assessments. And then they, they sort of help you get to where you need to go, the consulting. It can be expensive, but it's much better than what's going on today. Because unless you have somebody extremely smart where their entire job is to canvas the market and to figure mm -hmm. out how these things work together, I don't know how you do it. I honestly don't. I don't know. I don't know how a small or medium business does it. I don't think they do. I, think I was going to say they don't. <laughs> I think they need to go through an MSP or somebody that's going to do it for them. Um, and I've, I'm a big fan of some of the MSPs because some of them are extremely security focused and extremely savvy. And the ones that aren't, you know, I was just at a convention here in Chicago, CompTIA. Um, mm. And many of the folks that I spoke to are considering not being in the market anymore or combining with someone else because the security is so daunting and they don't want to be hit. They don't want that liability for their business. And as a CEO or as somebody that 
that runs the thing, you know, they they know that they'll be liable and they couldn't buy the insurance that they need, right? So it's kind of like, gee, am I am I really going to do this or would it be better to partner with somebody else, put join forces? So you're going to see a huge amount of consolidation due to breaches and mm-hmm. also due to the US government saying you better get your zero trust act together. Um, it's a wonderful thing, this executive order, but it, it, you know, this and CMMC have put put them in a panic in terms of what to do. Yeah, the, this, I mean, some of these things that have just been, like you said, rushed to market as far as knee-jerk uh, requirements, they, they do skew the value proposition and the approach that actually is going to help so overall solve the problem. I, I wanted to just scratch quickly at that last point that you were kind of talking about, about the zero trust side. So when you've been, and you said it when we started out, you've been selling ZT stuff for quite a while. Where do you typically run into the issues around the the problem with a strategy like zero trust? Is it people just go, oh my God, one more of those ZT things? Or is it that they don't feel like it's actually doable? Where, where does it go awry? All of the above. <laughs> okay, great. It used to be, it used to be zero. This is, this is going to make you laugh. It used to be, oh, zero trust. That doesn't sound right. That then you're saying my people are going to think I don't trust them. You know, they didn't even know what the definition really meant. Okay. That was the first thing. So we got through that. And now it's, oh, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed. Where do I start? Right. And now it's, I'm confused. There's too many products. How do you integrate them together? You know, there's always, if you don't want to do something, you'll find an excuse, right? Uh, my, my sense is that there is lack of education in terms of how to make this simple and how to get started. Uh, most products are coming in, boom, you need to do this for zero trust. Boom, you need to do this. And that without a, here's how we fit, here's how you integrate or not, you don't have to integrate if you don't want to. Here's how we work with other products that you already have. There's very there's a huge lack of that. A lot of times people don't want to talk about their competitors, but most of the time your competitor's already in there. So you better figure out a story in which to work with that competitor. Because the fact of the matter is, is that companies don't like to throw away something that they spent millions of dollars on already. <laughs> Let's face it. Right. Less, right. It, crash the program. And then that's something else, right? But if they're using it and it's not as effective as yours, you have to have a way to talk about how to augment and make better, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, uh, I mean, I keep running into this uh, with people I talk with on the buyer side that they're like, well, it's like I go to the Walmart of cybersecurity between some of these things where they just go, yeah, we've got it all. Um, What do you want? Already got it. And then they say, oh, by the way, the new thing that will actually solve your problem requires you to get rid of that old thing because ultimately what it's about is they make more margin on selling that stuff. And it, I mean, it, it's the nature of business, but it does continue to skew this. Uh, your, your, your insights and your expertise are amazing. I, the, the last thing I always like to ask people is if you were going to tell somebody that's coming into this or trying to do what you do, what would you say don't do? We got lots of folks that say, this is the thing. These are the advice of, you know, success, but avoiding failure is just as important as success. What shouldn't someone do when they're selling into the channel and doing the types of things that you have expertise in? Don't show up 
without knowing the sales process yourself, understanding it intimately, knowing the product, and really understanding how it's how you know you're decoding it for the channel. That's where there's lots of mistakes happening. It's I've seen it in many places where they'll they'll say something like, well, the salespeople need to know this, but the channel people don't really need this. And that and that's so wrong because the channel is selling just like the direct team is selling. They're just selling to different people. Mm-hmm. They're right. And if they don't translate it properly, if they don't have the confidence and they haven't learned the product, that there won't be a channel partner willing to sell it because they won't have gotten the magic or they the Kool-Aid, if you will, from anyone. And so it won't work. And I've seen this time and time again. Or if it does work, it takes many years to work and lots of frustration. So decode that sales process before you show up to the channel. Know it intimately and you will be successful. You will because they can't help but you know, get this contagion around this, the happiness around this product that you're, you're emanating. And, and we all know people want to be with people that are successful. They have something wonderful. They're excited about it. Well, I don't know how you do that if you haven't been trained properly and you don't know it yourself. That's awesome. Everybody loves a winner, right? Yes. Yeah. Everybody loves the winner. Well, okay. So thank you so much for jumping on. I think I learned more in 30 minutes of talking to you about the channel approach than I've learned in 20 years in the market. So, um, I can't, I can't thank you enough for your time. Tina gravel doing some cool stuff out there, helping people and engage in what they're doing and selling into this particular market. We'll have you back on in another uh, six months or a year and just see how things are going. But thank you so much for jumping on. Chase, it is my sincere pleasure to work with you anytime. I always learn something from you as well. So it's a mutual admiration, sir. Thanks so much. Awesome. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.